0: The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed by the hosts and guests on this podcast are their own and do not represent the views, thoughts, and opinions of UCLA Athletics, UCLA Gymnastics, or the Bruin Gymnastics alumni community. The content of this podcast is strictly for informational purposes only and should not be considered professional advice.
1: If you say that you can explain how it feels, you're lying. It's, so beyond belief and I just remember thinking of all of the times when I had gotten hurt, all of the times when I thought I couldn't go on. These two guys were a major factor
2: in me being able to do that. Like Tim is saying, you can't really put it into words because it's a feeling. And the feeling I had was different than the feeling I imagined it would feel like. If you look back, all it was was this gigantic, grin on my face, this huge smile. And I guess you can equate that to happiness. It felt great. And it was a little bit of disbelief that this was actually happening because it was a dream for many, many, many years.
3: I was grateful. Uh, I'm a person of faith. I was grateful for God for giving me the opportunity to to, to share this experience with such amazing people. I was grateful for all the guys in the team, but in particular, the guys that I lived the dream with every day, that's Mitch and Tim.
0: Welcome to the Bruin Gymnastics edition of the Resilience to Brilliance podcast, where you'll be inspired by riveting behind the scenes stories of UCLA gymnastics legends. I'm your host, Kim Hamilton Anthony. Here we go. In keeping with our celebration of the 40th anniversary of the UCLA men's gymnastics team winning their first ever national championship title in 1984, I will finish out our Bruin Gymnastics Alumni Edition interviewing three men who are not just UCLA legends, but international gymnastics legends as well. Tim Daggett, Mitch Gaylord, and Peter Vidmar, who are also celebrating the 40th anniversary of winning the team gold medal in the 1984 Olympics. Tim Daggett also won three individual national titles at that famous NCAA championship in 1984. And his perfect 10 on high bar at the 84 Olympics clinched the first ever gold medal for the U.S. men's gymnastics team. And Tim also won a bronze medal on pommel horse. Tim is the founder of Daggett Gymnastics, and he's been a sports commentator for over 30 years. In addition to helping UCLA win the NCAA national team title in 84, Mitch Gaylord was also the NCAA all-around champion. In the 84 Olympics, he won a silver medal on vault and two bronze medals on rings and parallel bars. His prominence on that world stage led to a movie career, followed by his involvement in the finance and fitness industries. He is currently in the home building industry in Austin, Texas. And in 2023, he was inducted into the International Gymnastics Hall of Fame. And Peter Vidmar is a five-time NCAA national champion, including winning two national all-around titles. In the 1984 Olympics, he scored a perfect 10 to win the gold medal on the pommel horse. And he won the silver medal in the all-around. Peter spent much of his post-gymnastics career on the corporate lecture circuit before retiring to run a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints for three years in Melbourne, Australia. Recently, he's working in the banking industry. I had this incredible privilege of sitting down with these three legends to get a behind the scenes look at their storied experience from 1984. Let's listen. Tim, Mitch, Peter, welcome. Hello, Kim. Hello, Kim.
1: (laughs) Great to be on. Great to be here, Kim.
0: Oh, thank you so much. Uh, It was quite a bit of a chore getting the three of you together, (laughs) but we managed it.
1: They were very difficult, weren't they?
0: (laughs) You said they, the two of them.
1: The two of Uh, them, yes.
0: Too funny, too funny. Well, let me tell you, the reason I wanted to interview the three of you together is because, one, I want to celebrate the rich history of UCLA men's gymnastics and Personally, I can't help but to believe that it was UCLA men's gymnastics team that played a significant role in drawing some of the women to the program. I remember coming to UCLA in 86, and I didn't know much about the women's team at all, but I did know the three of you, and I knew the great success that you were having. So thank you for being a part of me coming to UCLA. I appreciate that. So the second reason I wanted to have you on together is because... We're celebrating the 40th anniversary of UCLA men's gymnastics team winning the NCAA national team title in 1984 and the 40th anniversary of the three of you winning the Olympic gold medal in 1984. So welcome and thank you again for being here. Thank you. you. When was the last time the three of you were interviewed together? I don't think
1: all three of us. I think at different times I've done something with Pete or I've done something with Mitch, but it's been, it's been quite a while.
0: It's been a while. Do you think it's been 40 years?
1: (laughs) Not quite 40.
0: Not quite 40.
3: It was exciting to hear that we'd be on together. So this is kind of nice.
0: Well, good. First of all, I'd like to ask you about your relationship with each other. Did you know each other before you went to UCLA?
2: He should start that one.
3: (laughs) Well, Mitch and I knew each other um, because uh, we both grew up in Southern California. And my very first gymnastics meet of my life was a meet, I think, in the San Fernando Valley. And uh, me and uh, myself and and Bob Kuriyama, um, who was my teammate at the Culver City Gymnastics Club, went to compete in our first beat. I only did two events. I did floor and vault. I was second on floor, third on vault. Bob was... Third on floor, second on vault, and there was this little kid that won every single event and the all around. His name was Mitch Gaylord. Oh and, goodness! And I just thought, dang, that guy's good. And um, and that was my first real connection to to Mitch. I didn't know him. I didn't. I don't even know if I even talked to you, Mitch. But uh, I don't think so, no. saw you there, and and then maybe we competed one or two more times as as junior gymnasts, and then we ended up kind of meeting at UCLA together as freshmen in 1979 and Tim came a year later. So that was the connection with Mitch and I'll let, in Mitch, you can, ex, you can expound on that. And Tim, you can mention why the heck you come out to California from Massachusetts.
0: Right. All the way out oh, there. Yeah.
2: yeah. Well, I, I remember those early days competing with Pete and he, he likes to bring up that competition where I won everything. But the very next time we competed, he won everything. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> And that's when I realized talent alone doesn't make it in this sport. You got to work <laughs> your butt off. And okay. that, Pete was an inspiration from that point forward to me all the way until we ended up at UCLA, where he was already on the senior national team at that point, going to the world championships. And it was a huge uh, factor in my decision to go to UCLA was because Pete was there. I wanted to be a part, really? of, a part of that and part of that whole um, program. So it was uh, it was very interesting the way the way Pete and I specifically went neck and neck and neck for so many years after that was was fun, challenging, motivating and the key to the success, I think, of all of us. And then Tim coming in, my goodness, we had a powerhouse there and it was fun just feeding off each other's energy in the gym each day, day in, day out.
1: Yeah, you know, for me, it's like, as they both mentioned, they're much older than I am. Um, <laughs> I, I, I came the year after. Really nice and, <laughs> and really, it's, it's the exact same reason. Um, I remember, you know, watching Peter qualify for that first world team and thinking, you know, he's one year older than me and he's so much better. And I watched videos of mitch and i'm like this guy is unbelievable and i I had thought that they were the best guys in the country and maybe if they weren't exactly at that point i thought they would be and um i just said you know i gotta figure out what the heck they do because i am no i'm not even in their league at this point in time and so um i decided ucla and uh it was one of the most important decisions of my life and, and I'll cherish it forever.
0: That's pretty cool that the three of you saw each other and just motivated each other from afar and, and kind of close when you think about Peter and Mitch. Uh, So when you got to UCLA, what was the environment like? What was the, the, the culture as you trained? The Wild
2: West comes to mind. Okay. <laughs> well, I was very
1: calm. These guys, you know, very explosive in the gym. Always. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> I, I <don't> hope <laughs> so.
2: It was a combination of things. I think. I mean, we were in the old men's gym before the gym that you saw at the Wooden Center, mm-hmm. and it was it was not state of the art by any means. <laughs> But it's kinda of cool. It's like you watch the old, you know, Rocky movies or whatever where they're training, you know, down in whatever that environment you want to call it. It, it wasn't high tech, it didn't have the best equipment, it was smelly, it was loud, yeah. it was just but it did matter. It was a, it it was a, dungeon. It was a dungeon on the second floor of the oh, men's yeah. gym
3: facility. Oh yeah. goodness. It really was with a lot of
2: with a lot
1: of pigeons. Yes, yeah, we had a oh, lot of birds
3: flying in there. Sometimes you'd tumble, and your hand would, would go right across. Uh, it was bad. It, that that was Wait. the gym.
0: Wait, the birds were in the gym, and there's like bird poop on the mat. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, a
1: lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh
0: my goodness. Yeah. Uh, what a recruiting. And, and what's yeah. interesting is
3: that we had the men's, the men's, the, uh, the, the basic uh, outlay of the gym. There was three basketball courts. There was a curtain that separated two of them from one of them. And one of them was the, permit, the permanent site of the gymnastics facility. You had the girls' equipment. You had one set of bars. You had about three beams. You had um, the vault runway that we shared. And then you had the floor. And then you had the men's equipment, the high bar, the, the pommel horse, the parallel bars, and the rings. That that was our luxurious you know, gym with the paint peeling off the walls. And, uh <laughs> You know, and 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 here we are in this environment. And, and on the other side of the curtain was where the men's volleyball team played. And so you had, we were staring at the girls and the girls were staring at the volleyball players. Because okay. they were okay. these, you know, tall, good looking guys, you know, hitting <laughs> volleyball. And, you know, we were the short guys in the gym that were pasty white <laughs> in the gym all day. So,
0: yeah, it was, oh, it was an interesting environment. I mean. Yes. Interesting to say the least. Yeah. yeah. So your training regimen, was there anything special that you did at UCLA that maybe you hadn't done before that helped prepare you for that national championship title?
1: I can personally say that um, when, when I went there and coached Sherlock and uh, Makoto Sakamoto, um, basically I learned that as a human, you can do way more than you ever thought possible and um i remember at one point uh, early on uh we used to call him mr mako makoto sakamoto um he he started doing handstand push-ups in the gym um kind of at the end of workout to see how how many he could do and you know literally when he's first starting he's doing like five in my freshman year and um, he would do this for a long time in his life and i think he actually at one point had the Guinness. Book of world records for handstand push ups. I mean, some ungodly number that, goodness, over 100, I think, Pete. He was
3: 163 and he was age 60, he was age
1: 54 when he did it.
0: Oh, my goodness. That is
3: incredible. So
0: he
1: started, though, like I said, in my freshman year, and he might have been doing it with with Pete and Mitch also. I wasn't there, but he would do these things and he'd be struggling like crazy, you know, and it's like he's he's done five and two months later, he's, almost made eight and then you know two months later after that he's doing 11 and he's like fighting and his legs are and he'd come down and he'd always he, he the way he coached he he kind of did it a little sublim- subliminal it, he he'd always say well, the the mind always gives up before the body you know, he just walk. he'd walk by you, you know, it's like the mind always gives up before the body, you, meaning you could always do more. And um, I, I remember learning that lesson, you know, through actually seeing somebody do that, because, you know, and I know it's true for these guys as well. If, if you were to look at the magnitude of work that went into it, I don't think any of us you know, early on would have said, oh yeah, we could do that.
2: I learned directly from from Pete, believe it or not. I mean, I, <laughs> that came out wrong. Of course I learned from the guy, but he was, like I said, already on the senior team level internationally. And so to be able to see how he trained in person was a gigantic learning lesson for me. I'd never trained like that before. Uh, hence, I never was at those levels at that time. So it was a major like what Tim's saying, you can do way more than you think you can. And that was evident every single day in the gym, no matter how tired you were, you would go in there and find out you were capable of more than you thought you were. And that became a real uh, motivating factor just to keep pushing and pushing and pushing to see how much I could do during the workouts, which I had never done in the past, Uh, work through pain, work through fatigue, and found out that it was very mental. I had no idea that that dynamic that your mind was so much more powerful than your physical mm-hmm. cues were giving you you could override them pretty easily not in a stupid way we had some stuff happen in that gym that that was kind of scary with our, our teammate mark Casa actually had a tragic uh, he broke his neck and i think we all majorly learned from that as well about the uh, the risks of being too overly competitive and doing things when you were a little bit too tired
3: I, I think that, the, I think I had a little bit of help in that Mako Sakamoto coached me from my first day of gymnastics. So, so what he taught, he, I think he taught us all the value of repetition. We did a lot of routines. When we got ready for competition, it was just a numbers game. And, and it's the last routine on each event, right? You know, the last routine on the floor, the last routine on the high bar, that's the real test for you to try to be up. And I think that that, that helped. What I learned from from Mitch and Tim was they had everything that I lacked. I um, Tim had had incredible power, and he was always aggressive in the way he approached his performing. It was all out. And and Mitch was, I think, Mitch is probably the most creative gymnast this country's ever seen in terms of developing and and, and skills and being innovative. Uh, you know, you've got. We we all know what the Gaylord flip is, but there's the Gaylord one, the Gaylord two. There's other skills he did in practice that none of no one ever really saw that he was working on all the time, and that just expanded my 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 mind about what could be done. And I was always afraid to take those chances and take those. I was kind of conservative, and so so we I think we all played off of each other. At least that's I know that's what I observed in the gym. It was always electric in the gym. There was never a time that all three of us or anybody else was were all tired and all lazy on a, on a certain day. Someone was going on all cylinders that day, and that raised the level of intensity for everybody else in the gym. You know, I think at one point of the 18 members of the national team, seven of us trained in that gym at UCLA. So over a third of the national team was in that one gym.
0: That's it amazing.
3: so dynamic. I, I mean, and that's what I miss more than anything is just that relationship and being in the gym and training with guys. It's not the competition.
0: Now, one of you mentioned the mental aspect. What are some things that you did to mentally prepare yourself to compete at the highest level and to excel?
1: Uh, well, you know, it's, it's basically what, one of the first things I learned was taught by the coaches and these guys here you know it's just you you practice like you're competing like you envision yourself actually you know at the olympic games you know with the ability to you know do a routine that can clinch a gold medal and you do that in training you know to try to get yourself you try to imagine what it smells like, what the airflow is. You envision Dmitry Bilozirchev walking by you or Yuri Korolev or somebody else. And, and you try to put yourself in that situation. And then when you are in that situation, you do the exact opposite. You say, no, I'm not here. I'm not at the Olympic games. It's, it's just, it's another workout and there's Pete and there's Mitch and there's Mark and Chris. And, you know, it's, it's just, it's just another day. I've done it a million times and, you know, and, and I can do it. I can do it again. So it, it for me, that was really important. I don't know about you guys. I, I, I think you probably, I know Pete, you did because we we used to play kind of a game like that all the time. So
0: what was that game? We'd be
3: on the high bar and I'd look at Tim and say, Hey, Tim, let's just imagine this, the Olympics, just the men's team finals for on the last event of the night. Um, you know, the, 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 the four last- hours
1: into practice.
3: Four hours (laughs) into practice, end of the week,
1: exhausted.
3: You're exhausted. You want to go home. You tore three more blisters in your hand. Your shoulder hurts and gymnastics isn't fun anymore. And then I'd say, let's just imagine we're here at the games and and the gold medals on the line. And we're neck and neck with the Chinese. And we have to hit our routines perfectly to win. You know, knowing that's never going to happen. And here we were at the Olympics under those exact circumstances. And that's when you can kind of, you have to recall the training. To be able to to do that, Tim and Mitch mentioned some other names in the gym. It's not just us three in that gym. And there there was the, the Caso brothers, Mark and Chris Caso. There were um, Robbie Campbell, gosh, Carlos Spivey, yes, other other gym specialists, Joe Hopfield on the high bar. Guys <laughs> that you know, we have these great memories with all of these mm-hmm. athletes. They were all hardworking. It wasn't just us. I mean, everybody worked hard in that gym and. Um, you know, I, I, I'd like to be a fly on the wall of the workouts of the guys today because I look at the level of performance of male gymnasts today and I think, wow, I don't know if I could ever rise to that. It's amazing what our gymnasts are doing now. So anyways, that was, I just love being in the gym with these guys.
2: I think all of us get asked that question numerous times. Do, do you miss being in the sport? Do you miss competing? And like you said, Pete, it's not about the competition, even though those were fun moments, incredible moments, life-changing moments. But the day in, day out is where it was at, is to wake up each and every day with those kinds of goals, focus, vision of where you want to go, working at it each and every day. And the camaraderie of the teammates in that gym was, I think, exceptional. Uh, I, I can't imagine being anywhere else and getting to the levels that I personally got to without these guys. It just wouldn't have happened. But one of the things you talked mentally, I wanted to say one thing as these guys were talking, I learned the power of focus and I learned how to block out everything around me because that was an up and down uh, ladder for me. Like sometimes I was able to do it and then at other times in competition, I would let the, the magnitude of the event get to me and I would choke and I would always be so upset that that happened and wonder how it happened. And then in the gym, your comfort zone where you're in day in, day out, it's not It's not hard to tune everything out. You're just in your comfort zone, like I'm saying. But get into a competition, especially when you travel internationally in a foreign country on a different time zone and it's completely foreign to you, different languages. It, the whole environment feels very strange. But if you can get into that tunnel vision, that zone, the flow that people talk about, uh, you can tune all that stuff out and it's just you on the apparatus doing your thing that you've done hundreds of times in the gym, and you duplicate that.
0: Is there a secret to getting in the flow? Is there something specific that you did? Or was it just the matter of will? Hey, I am going to block out. Yeah, you, let these guys talk it.
2: on that, but it's just awareness of it, knowing that you need to do it. You got to <laughs> okay. do it. And you have to be aware that you need to do it. Go ahead, Pete.
3: I don't know. I mean, I um, I think first first and foremost, you have to love what you do. I, I love gymnastics. I love I love the whole sensation of going upside down and flipping. That's what, as a child, attracted me to the sport was that being able to to will yourself to doing all these incredible things. Um, and and so with that love, then comes that the the, the dreaming right of well, what if someday. Um, I would say that my coach was really good. He never said if, he only said when. By the way, when you make your first national team, this is what you'll experience. By the way, when you make an Olympic team, the opening ceremonies are going to be awesome. By the way, you'll know, I mean, when, it was never if.
0: I like so that. I thought, wow,
3: he, he has expectations for me. And, and, and I think that from that, I learned to have expectations then for myself. And to say, well, maybe he's being, maybe he's really being truthful. Maybe I actually can do this. And so that dream becomes a goal, and then the work, um, the mental and physical work, pushes that goal into something that can become reality. It's a, it's not an easy process. We can simplify it with a few sentences here on a podcast. It's a mm-hmm. lifetime effort and work. And I lived in the gym with these guys and saw that there were so many days that it was, it was really hard. As you know, I mean, you've been through this. You've gone through this yourself with your teammates. It's just... Um, there's days that it's not fun. And that's when I think you learn the most about yourself. You know, when you've conquered something that you didn't think you could, when you actually made it through a workout that you didn't think you could complete and you walk away at the end of the day going, Man, I'm so glad I didn't give up in the middle of the day. I'm so glad I stuck with it. So, Yeah.
0: That's
3: for for me,
1: I, I echo everything that they've said. Um, I just, I found out relatively early on that, you know, because especially nowadays if you if you talk to talk to the youth or different folks or you read stuff it's struggle is like a bad word and um for me I learned that struggling although difficult in the moment always produced the best results for me and so I learned to kind of embrace that and 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 always have that as my goal because, you know, you could do another routine, you could do another flip, another twist. You, But the one thing that you could always do more of was struggle deeper and more intensely. And so I learned to kind of really love that term and love that feeling, you know, and So at the end, like we say, you know, at the end of a workout where you're just like, you can't even lift your arms anymore. And it's like it was such a struggle. But then, you know, right after that, you know, you see this 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 big benefit.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Embrace the struggle. I like that.
1: Yeah.
0: I like it. Well, Peter, during the 1984 Nationals, had you graduated already?
3: I had, in fact, you know, you, when you introduced us as uh, as members of the 1984 NCAA championship teams, that's only two of them. I wasn't. I was the graduate the graduate assistant coach. I was still training for the games. So we tried to win an NCA title with me and the team. They needed to get me off the team to win that title. <laughs> <finding. laughs> when well, Mitch and Tim did it, they you needed know? you in
0: that coaching spot. Yes. Yeah, oh, yeah, oh, I don't
3: know about that, but um, so I was not a <laughs> member of that team. So, but I was. I graduated in '83. And um, you know, of course, I'm going to stay in the same environment that I've been nourished in my my whole career. So I just stayed training with these
0: guys. And and you had um, won two national titles, all around titles, you your know, senior I, and junior. Yeah, I won it.
3: I, I won. Yeah, I did. And uh, and and Mitch had won some national titles. And I think what's neat about this is that. If you look at our team, the 1984 team, every member of the team at some point in their career was the NCAA, was the USA all around national champion. Which one? Wow. I want to couple Tim. Won Jim Hartling had won. Scotty Johnson ended up winning after the Olympics, but we were all able to to say that we were all around champions. So that was kind of a kind of a neat thing. And we were a very mm-hmm. dynamic. Outside of us three, the other three in the team, we'd been together for quite a while leading up to the Olympics. So so yes, I graduated. We just kept on training. I would not have near the the success that I had without being in the gym with, with Mitch and Tim. I mean, it was it's such a privilege. And I can't, as Mitch said, I can't imagine having gone anywhere else, uh, being in any other environment. I, you know, I just I, I feel like, I just feel blessed that, that I had this chance to be with all of them. You know, we can get together, as you heard before we went on the air, uh, the little banter that we have, is that's, that's lingered <laughs> since we were in our 20s. It's great. <laughs>
0: For sure. It must have been an amazing environment. Now, I would like to go to that NCAA championship and just talk about what that was like for you. Did you go in expecting to win as a team? What are some of the things that played out that maybe the public doesn't know about, but what was actually going on behind the scenes?
1: You know, it was in Poly. So the the NCAA's in '84 are in Pauley Pavilion, and so we were comfortable with that. But it also was obviously just a few months later going to be where the Olympic Games was going to happen, and all three of us, we you know, we were going to be on that team unless something remarkably wrong occurred, Um, because we had for the last number of years always been on on the major teams. And so it just was, uh, it was, it, oh gosh, I, I, I don't know exactly what the overriding thing is. It, obviously it was exciting, um, you know, to, to, tr- to try to win an NCAA title. I, I thought we were going to win, uh, you know, I thought we would do it handily. Um, but I also wanted to use it as, you know, as a, a preparation to, to, to feel exactly what I'm going to feel come, you know, July uh, of 1984. And so, yeah, a lot of, a lot of different emotions
2: for me. Yeah. That's, that's, I felt the same way, Tim, is, is it was kind of a a preview of what was to come at the Olympics because we were already at those levels and and we knew that was the goal and that's where we were going. Um, I do remember specifically wanting to make a very powerful message of we are better than Nebraska. (laughs) (laughs) Because it had never happened prior to that. And you may wonder why Mm -hmm. Pete was already graduated and I wasn't. Um, We went in the same year as freshmen, but I had redshirted a year because I had left UCLA for a while to train with Kurt. And then I came back and there was a question of whether I was going to be able to compete anymore in college just because of a bunch of BS back in those days with amateur versus professional oh, stuff. It's a whole okay. other story that we don't need to go into, but the fact that I was there, one more chance, here we are, we can do this and we're going to do it. And we ended up not only winning the team gold at, at the NC2As, but we took first, second, and third in the all around. And that was the statement I think we were looking for is yeah. we, we dominated and it and it felt awesome. It felt great. And then, of course, we put that aside and became best buddies with our Nebraska guys because they were on the <laughs> Olympic team with us.
0: Exactly. Two of them. Yes. Two of them. Correct. Yeah. Yep. So yep. I want to go back to Mitch leaving his scholarship to go I train. I don't need to go into that. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, we won't go into the details of it. But I want to know what Peter and Tim were thinking when you left. Good riddance. Well, you know,
3: it's oh we were always sure.
1: I was very sad. I'm mm-hmm. very sad.
3: Yeah, no. Was, I mean, when you lose that dynamic, but but at the same time, when Mitch came back, you could see a transformation. I mean, the the, the the work that Kurt Thomas did with Mitch was was outstanding. Mitch, 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 Mitch's level of I think Mitch, I would I would say it looked like you found yourself in terms of the kind of gymnastics that you wanted to. To display to the world that—that's how I felt when you came back. It was Mitch came back as as his own performer. You know, he wasn't fitting into a formula, and I think that speaks to well to Mitch's personality. He's an innovative, creative gymnast. He needs to express himself, and he did in his own way. And the skills he performed—I mean—they stood the test of time over the years. I mean, that right there says it all. So,
2: good stuff. Very insightful, Mr. Vidmar. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I, I don't, I'm not trying to put thoughts in the I'm just saying that's my, that's the impression I got from observing Mitch when he came back. Yeah, it was,
2: mm-hmm. it was my. Yeah, it was you school. definitely
1: you definitely believed in yourself to you know a much much higher level, and mm-hmm. and you know you were always capable of of being the best guy. But you know, I, I think deep down that experience just taught you that y- you're one of the best gymnasts in the world and you can compete with anyone. There's no question.
2: So. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. The, the same thing Pete was talking about when Maka would tell him a presumptive, yes, you're gonna be there. Mm-hmm. I got that through Kurt that yes, you're gonna be number one. You, you have the talent, you just need the belief in yourself. I lacked that back in those days. And I was in an environment where I personally felt like I wasn't flourishing because I was trying to, they were trying to mold me into something that I wasn't. And it's no fault of the coach, Mako. He didn't know me as a 12 year old. And so when I came on the scene, you know, like when I came on the scene at 18, I wanted to do certain things. And there was things he didn't want me to do. And we butted heads a lot and it, it was not It wasn't for any other reason than we just butted heads. <laughs> <you know? laughs> At the time, I was really angry, like this coach doesn't believe in me and he's trying to keep me down and all these other thoughts that probably weren't even true. But I just knew I had to leave for a while. And I ended up training with Kurt and Kurt just immediately saw where I wanted to go and wanted to encourage me to get there in this particular way. And, he, and it just worked. And when I came back, I was like, these guys are saying a different guy. And I wanted to share that with them. Mm, I wanted to, I'm back. Let's do this together. And uh, I love it. It's just amazing. Amazing experience. That's exciting.
0: That's exciting. Now, was it related to the level of skills that you were doing? Because I mean, I'm thinking about the Gaylord one, two, you were throwing some skills way back when.
2: Yeah. That was never the issue with me. I could always do fancy tricks and the scary stuff and the mm-hmm. risky stuff. It was it was the fundamentals and the ah, basics and the okay. work ethic, like I was saying earlier, mm-hmm. and getting that all down. The gym I grew up in, my coach was Dan Conley. And that's the environment that we were at there too, which was just do the hardest skills you possibly can do. And, and it was fun. I had a major love of the sport, but you, you can't just get to the top with that alone. You have to have the fundamentals and the discipline to go along with it. And I think that's what the training with Kurt basically put it all together, put all the pieces together.
0: Nice. Oh, I'm so glad you shared that. So let's move from the national championship title to the Olympics. After compulsories, Mitch, you scored a 10, by the way, that helped the team uh, boost itself ahead of China. So you're going into optionals. Are you going in thinking, we are going to walk away with a gold medal?
1: Can I, can I interject at this point? Sure, sure. So Mitch, so Mitch, parallel bars in compulsories. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, he was great, you know, always wonderful routine. He goes up, does this routine. I'm watching him. Um, I think I had already gone and he lands, sticks it, kind of comes over to me and he, he goes, Oh, God, that was terrible. That sucked. I was so off here. And I was, (laughs) I was low here and I didn't feel right. And it's like, because it was practiced so many times, the only people that knew that it wasn't as perfect as it could be was Mitch Gaylord and, and some of the guys that trained with him. But I was like, Oh, it's going to be fine. It's fine. Mitch, I'm telling you, it's going to be fine. And then all of a sudden there's this roar of the crowd and, you know, Mitch gets a 10. So it's, uh, you know, I I just love that story. And I I I thought I would not get it in if I didn't say that. So sorry, I interrupted. No,
0: no, no, you're good. I love that you told that, Mitch. and And it was a little bit indicative of maybe you not believing in yourself as much as you learned to do after you worked with Kurt Um, and maybe it kind of came back a little bit but that's so funny I'm glad you shared that Tim
2: do you remember that Mitch I I don't believe it or not but as you're saying it no no it's (laughs) funny because all I remember is the 10 yeah (laughs) (laughs) I remember seeing it in disbelief because we had never done it before and I remember running up there and you know whatever the crowd was going berserk and when I came back you know all the hugs and everything and it was just a, a momentum builder for all of us. It's like, mm-hmm. we're, we're there, man. We can do this. That's yeah. how it felt to me. We can really beat these guys. And uh, yeah, amazing. I it's think
3: that, uh, the moment when I thought, hey, this really could happen was um, I, I think we felt that we had the talent to be as good as or better than the Chinese. When we saw them in the workout, at least for me, watching their podium training and all that, I thought, they're not unbeatable. You know, I, we, can, we can do this, guys. And they had they, won the world championships just six months earlier. And, and so I, um, uh, I, I thought when, I, when, when, the, when the competition began, we were on floor. China was on pommel horse. And I remember glancing over before my routine, and I saw Li Xiaoping, who was the reigning world champion, on the pommel horse. I saw him fall off. And I turned, I don't know if I looked at Tim or Mitch or somebody, I said, hey, did you see that? Xiaoping just fell off horse. Those guys are nervous too, man. We can do this. It was almost, <laughs> yeah. I feel terrible saying that because I, I love Lee Xiaoping. He lives in, in Orange County, California. He's got a great club. Yeah. And, and um, But, I mean, that you saw that and thought, wait a second. They're not perfect. We're not perfect, but we we can do this. And that was kind of, in a way, it, it kind of – that kind of calms you down to say, "Hey, you know what? We're all in the same boat. Go out there and just do your job." And we and we did our jobs.
0: So, what was it like for you to stand on that podium
1: mm.
0: as a team, beating the world champions, China?
1: I, I'll tell you what, because <laughs> it's for forty years for me and for these two gentlemen right here. I I think if you if you if you say you can, if you if you say that you can. Explain how it feels you're lying, because it's just it's so beyond belief. And you know, I I remember personally being on the stand. You know, when the when you know they're playing the national anthem, and I just remember thinking of all of the times when I had gotten hurt, or all of the times when I think I couldn't go, thought I couldn't go on and i had just kept on going and and these two guys were a major factor in me being able to do that we just i just fed off of them so much and i remember just being so proud that that we never gave up and so that that, that was it for me so
2: i just remember Like Tim is saying, you can't really put it into words because it's a feeling and the feeling I had was different than the feeling I imagined it would feel like. So that was very interesting to me because if you ask any of my family members, you know, I'm a sensitive guy and emotional once in a while. And I thought, man, this could be that double-edged sword if I do, if I do win or if we do win and I'm up on a victory stand, I'm just going to lose it. I'm going to start crying in front of the world and that's going to be embarrassing. And If you look back, all it was was this gigantic grin on my face, this huge smile. And I guess you can equate that to happiness. (laughs) It felt great. And it was a little bit of disbelief that this was actually happening because it was a dream for many, many, many years. And the dream's a reality now. And to echo what Tim said, and I'm sure Pete will say the same darn thing. The fact that we were all up there together meant everything because we had gone through it together. And here we are and we're sharing this experience. And here, four years later, I'll get choked up just thinking about it. So now I can show emotion about it. But back then, I guess I was the the robot athlete. But um, overwhelming, overwhelming, elated, just unreal.
3: Yeah, I'm I'm weaker than these guys. I think I actually cried up there. but
1: uh, <laughs> <laughs> No, I actually, Pete was kind of hyperventilating there yeah, for a little I bit. I kept, I kept tapping him saying, you're all right. Come on, come on, Pete. You got it. Yeah, I was yeah. hyperventilating.
3: Um, for me, uh, I think a lot of it was what, what Tim and Mitch expressed, but it's gratitude for me. I was grateful. Uh, I'm a person of faith. I was grateful for God for giving me the the opportunity to to, to share this experience with such amazing people. Um, I was grateful for all the guys in the team, but in particular, the guys that I live the dream with every day, that's Mitch and Tim. And, you know, and and it wasn't always easy for us. I mean, we were, we were like the top three gymnasts in the country all around. And so while we're competing with each other, we're also competing against each other Mm -hmm. and you have to push aside those little things if you really want to be a team. And, um, and we did. And uh, and I think that the fact that the friendship, whenever we see each other, is so strong, uh, I think even sometimes stronger than it was back then, um, because we live this dream together and we have the shared memory of, of, of this experience. Um, I'm just grateful to know them. I'm grateful that that they are um, examples to me and examples to my children of the kind of persons that they are. Um, there's something to be said about the caliber of people that I've been able to keep company with. And, I, and I'm just grateful for that.
0: That's really special. The
1: feeling is mutual. Yes. Ditto.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, each of you have such amazing personal stories as well. We didn't get into the gold medals that you won individually and the silver medals and the bronze medals And I'm not going to put you on the spot right now. One of these days, I would love to interview each of you individually to dig deeper into your stories. But I just want to thank you so much for taking time out of your schedules to be on the podcast. I am beyond excited that you're here. So thank you. Thank you.
3: Thank Thank you you for inspiring many, many people through your work, Kim.
0: Oh,
2: thank you. Absolutely. I'm a a fan. (laughs) I'm a fan. As, uh, as the famous speaker, Les Brown, says, keep on keeping on. <laughs> Thank doing. you, guys. Thank you. Love you, brothers. Love, Love you, too, guys. man.
0: Oh, my goodness. That was a lot of fun. There are so many things I can take away from my conversation with Tim Daggett, Mitch Gaylord, and Peter Vidmar. The wisdom and insight they shared, it can be applied to just about any aspect of life. I thought it was interesting learning about how they demonstrated this inner drive, this positive attitude, and a disciplined mindset that they needed to win. But what caught my attention even more than that was just how much they fed off each other and learned from each other. One was positively impacting the other, and perhaps that person didn't even know it. It may not have been something they said or intentionally tried to teach each other, but they impacted each other's lives and careers by simply operating in their brilliance, by being who they were designed to be. They each had something unique and special that they brought to the team, and they played off each other's strengths, and they, they made each other better. Did you notice how eager they were to highlight each other's strengths. They didn't make it all about themselves. It was all about recognizing the strength in each other and in their other teammates who weren't on this interview, but who played a very significant role. If you think about it, what they just demonstrated for us was resilient leadership, doing the hard work, getting those reps in, extracting and expecting the very best from yourself, and at the same time, recognizing and encouraging and celebrating and providing space for others to be their authentic selves. How can you practice this type of resilient leadership, whether it's in the gym, in your home, or in your community? If you look around I'm sure there is likely someone out there who is just waiting for someone to see them for who they truly are. What would happen if you validated them? If you supported them? And maybe even team up with them so that you both can win together? It's definitely something worth considering. Thanks for listening to this final episode of the Bruin Gymnastics Alumni Edition of the Resilience to Brilliance podcast. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please follow us or subscribe wherever you find your podcast. That way you won't miss what's coming up in season two. If you want to find out more about Tim Daggett, Mitch Gaylord, and Peter Vidmar, check out our show notes on com slash podcast. And to connect with Bruin Gymnastics alumni on Instagram, follow us at UCLA Gym Alumni. Any use of this podcast without the express written consent of Brilliance Mode LLC is prohibited.